Finally, radio that was made just for you. Voice America Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. It's going to be a new show on television. A new show? Yeah. Sierra, there's going to be a new show on TV, and this might be just for you. It's called The Doctors. I can hear you. Go ahead. Can you hear me? It's called yeah. The Doctors. Okay. And it's going to be, uh, is the nanny there yet? Yeah. Oh, she's here. All right. So <laughs> just background music, right? Exactly. Yeah. Part, of the, part of the background music of life these days. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting here with two of my grown sons. They're not in the right here in the studio, but uh, they They're do. not screaming? They're not screaming, but they have stuff they want to talk to me about. Oh, they right like, now? No. But <laughs> and I had to say, you know, we have to talk later because i got a show to do. So uh, some things just don't change. Yeah, they don't. They really don't. Um, I just want to tell you about this doctor show because it's very cool. It's going to be the producer is Dr. Phil's son. Really? And, yes, and it's going to be on prime time. So I think it's kind of around Oprah, uh, Ellen DeGeneres. It's going to be in the afternoon every day. It's called The Doctors, and it takes the same format as Dr. Phil's show, except they're going to have four doctors on the show, four experts. And you're Always the same experts? Yes, always the same experts. These are, I mean, I, I had interviewed one of them who's a plastic surgeon, kind of a, a cool guy, Dr. Orden. He's going to be one of them. And there's going to be a pediatrician and an ER doctor. And I forgot who the fourth one is. Interesting. Yeah, and every day they're going to have a different topic, a timely topic. And, like, say you want to send, you have a question or you want to discuss something, you can email them, and the topic might they may choose that topic. And like live and on the air in that moment. Yeah, and it's going to be interactive. It's going to be great. Well, that's interesting. I think that's what we're going to see so much more of, you know, real, you know, TV is going to become more real time. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I know. The other doctor. You per- Do you remember Dr. Travis Stork? Well, he, actually, he's the ER doctor. He's the good-looking one who oh, was, oh, oh. He was on The Bachelor. He was on okay. The Bachelors. Uh-huh. Yeah. They needed to bring in some good looks. So you have to be, yeah, you have to have good credentials, but at the same time, you also have to be somebody who can perform on television. Otherwise, like I said to Dr. Orden, who's the, re- who's the reconstructive surgery guy who's in Beverly Hills, uh, I said, you know, they're not going to be talking all that medical jargon because people aren't going to, you know, you're not going stay to stay tuned. So they're going to put it in simple terms, but good information. Sorry. I was handed more breakfast. Oh. <laughs> Where is everybody? Oh, uh, sorry, yeah. Catherine. That's so right. what did you just say? So I don't I already said it. It doesn't make any difference if you're gonna you have to listen, just stay tuned. Oh. It's in September, the doctors. The doctors. Oh the, yeah, so yeah, I was gonna ask you a question, but I lost my question. All right, well here we you wanna hear something else? We're gonna have a doctor on the show. You know, show it's a too. good thing that I do this show with you because I would know nothing about what's going on in the world if it wasn't for you and I don't know what's coming on in September. How would you know that? Because you're watching T V? Yeah. Well, in Cape I, Cod. In Cape, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've been watching the Olympics. I've oh, me too. Oh, my goodness. We could talk about that all day. I know. The swimming and, like, last night we saw the racing. Oh, did you, I cried. I've been crying. Do you cry? I'm, I like, do. critical. <laughs> no, I cry. I love the stories. I love, I want to write, a, my next book, I want to write a story. I want to do these stories. The Olympic stories? I, I mean, do. Yeah, did you I hear, mean, you know, the Sean Johnson, who's 16, the cute little one that just got the her first gold? What's her story? I know. Her I story was so great. Oh, my goodness. Her parents, her mom was sobbing in the audience when she got the gold, and I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, why is she, like, literally sobbing? You know, like, really sobbing. And they finally explained that they mortgaged their house twice to get her through this training and, you know, just for the past 11 years of training. Oh, my goodness. So is it, now, was it just the mother? Because you, No, the you, father was there, too, but the yeah. father was consoling the mother. He was, he was more reading the support of one of her, but she was the one that totally lost it when she got the gold. Have you noticed that there are a lot of single mothers there? A lot of are, single moms. Yeah, who have been the inspiration for these kids for the past 11 years? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The other thing that I'm noticing that's really different in this Olympics than any other, and maybe it's just me being more aware, but it seems like they're... they're I don't know how to say it. There's a blending of the teams. Like, you, you can't tell by looking so much anymore which team is what. Well, that's because, and we were talking about that last night with my guys, 
uh, because especially with the American teams, because we are such a diverse culture. Exactly. You know, the, our teams were black and white. And I Asian, know. And you can't tell. I mean, the American team has just such the a Ameri- blend. And that's, I think we're going to, I mean, think about what it's going to be like in another 20 or 30 or 40 years. It's even going to be so much more of a blend. But that's why we're winning. I think you're probably right. Diversity is great. Well, we take the best from all of us and put it together, and that's why we're we're doing so well in the Olympics, and I think it applies to other areas, too. I agree with that. But your point, too, of, you know, I remember when you traveled to, um, I'm trying to think where it was, and you were talking about our transportation system here. Remember that? Oh, I was talking a couple months ago when we went to Interlochen to Switzerland. That's right. And you were saying how what a great transportation system. I mean, I think we're starting to see people really getting strategic in their trainings. They come to the United States to train from other countries or go to school here. Like a lot I of know. Are They're coming kids. from other countries, becoming yeah. citizens, and then playing for the U.S. Olympics, playing, yeah. working, I don't know what the right word is, for the Olympics. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, especially the swimmers. We have, like, great, great swim uh, comp- uh, training here, like, you know, all the California schools, and, and so a lot of the swimmers come here to go to college and also to train to be in the Olympics. But anyway, yeah, it's really exciting. Even watching some of these, like, they look like 10-year-olds doing the gymnastics. I know. Yeah, I know. That's oh, and you were right, by the way, last week. I should correct that. There is a rule that you have to be 16. Yeah, you were waffling. You said, well, maybe you don't have to be. or you No, just, you were right. I did it. some homework. You yeah. were absolutely correct. Yeah. You have to be 16. Yeah, some of those gaps. Um, you know, we're, this is really, we're going to have this this, I, this book. I, I really spent, I was wa- reading it on the beach yesterday. Actually, I've been reading so much since I've been here. I bet you have. Book. I think about that. You read a lot. Tennessee Williams, you know who Tennessee, the Glass Menagerie. Uh-huh. And Tennessee Williams wrote the Glass Menagerie. Two doors down from where we're staying in this house here on the Cape Cod. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, so I picked up, I was walking by one of the bookstores because I walk into town and back every day, four miles. And I went into the bookstore, and of course they had the book, Tennessee Williams and Provincetown. And I, it was only 100 pages, so I, I read it. Very interesting. He was uh, quite a guy. But anyway, he was here four summers, and that's where he wrote some of his major Wow. Books. Yeah, yeah. A uh, very cool guy, and so is Eugene O'Neill. But Eugene O'Neill is twenty years older than Tennessee Williams. Uh-huh. And speaking of uh, very famous people, we're going to have this Christopher Tennant on. He he wrote this book called The Official Filthy Rich Handbook. I can't wait to hear him. <laughs> it has everything in it, everything you want to know, and it really does about what the fil- filthy rich. We're not just talking about upper middle class. We're talking about filthy rich. Okay, where they go, what they wear. Uh, where they travel to, where they live, it's what schools they go to, um, and it, I mean it's packed full of all that kind of information. The scoop! Top, it's yeah. the scoop! It's the scoop! It is the scoop, and you can uh, what hotels they stay at. Very interesting. Anyway, and then our second guest is going to be Dr. Alan Hamilton, the scalpel and the soul. So he's, he's a surgeon, a very well-known, renowned surgeon who wrote a book now about how we can help to heal ourselves through the supernatural. Uh, not exactly what uh, surgeons usually talk about, at least not the surgeons I know, not the doctors I know. This is going to be a good hour. Yeah, it is going to be a good hour. So what are you doing? It's, is it 150 degrees in, in, in uh, Texas? Um, we, have a, we are getting a cool front. It's only going to be 94 today. Oh, my gosh. So how are your speed? I mean, Lauren goes around the country uh, lecturing. Okay. I have the large, the most full quarter I've ever had speaking-wise coming up. So where was your last lecture? Wasn't it in Dallas? In Dallas, last yeah. um, two weeks ago, I How guess was it that? was. Excellent. Yeah. You I, I, mean, I, met, I meet so many wonderful, amazing businesswomen doing what I do. I met this cool woman. She's now a big fish, but she owns a high-end chocolate, chocolate company, and she has stores in Dallas, Tokyo, and Hawaii. Send me some. Uh, I haven't even tasted it yet. I'm so excited to taste it. Yeah. Uh, can you go online and order it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And when you go around, you meet all these women. Now, I have to be honest with me. Do you ever get, like, jealous? See, I sometimes get, I get inspired, but at the same time, I have, for some of them, I have, like, envy. That's the truth. For who? For the people you meet? Yeah, well, sometimes they, they, I see that in, in a very short period of time they become really, really successful, they've made a ton of money, and then I'll think, and, and so that sometimes I get envious. Well, I do see people that have made done amazing things, but let me tell you, when you get behind the scenes with them, they have worked their little tukuses off, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so 
on the forefront when you have those first initial conversations, people think, oh, well, you know, dumb luck or she's so lucky or whatever. And I'll tell you, I, I've had, because I share, my talks are pretty personal. You know, I share, I share the real deal just like we do here, you know. And um, sometimes more so. It depends on the moment of how much I share. But these days I feel like I'm sharing more. But I find when I share, when I finally have the opportunity to speak to them one-on-one, they really share their hard stories. All right. As long as they're working their asses off. (laughs) We're going to take a break. I'm Catherine Zox, and you're listening to Catherine Zox with Lauren Deller on Voice America Women's Network. Don't go away, because we'll be back in a minute. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Join Gina Alzade every Wednesday for Journey with Gina. This program explores the modern-day issues that affect the body, mind, and spirit, aiming to help you gain and use critical life skills to overcome your challenges with grace and ease. Aim to come into your own power and make a difference in your life and the lives of those around you. Manage your stress and life transitions and create balance and harmony in your life. Journey with Gina is heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. I have a dream. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African-American, just like you. So here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, (laughs) no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at pornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Great guests, great stories, great listening. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to The Catherine Zox Show, and thanks for joining us this morning. Us is Lauren Deller and Catherine Zox on Voice America Women's Network. Number one, by the way, the number one show on the Women's Network, I don't know, at least three or four months uh, running, right, Lauren? <laughs> i got to do some advertisement here. Right? At least. Okay, great. All right. Uh, our guest is ready. We've got our guest, our first guest, and uh, he's the author of the official Filthy Rich Handbook, Christopher Tennant. And Christopher, it's, when we talk about Filthy Rich, uh, we're talking about how the other, not how the other half lives, Lauren, but how the other point zero 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 one percent lives. Uh, it's a little Bible here. It's uh, reading this handbook is like eating twelve baked Alaskas in a row. <laughs> well, wolf, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Christopher. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Good. Well, I'll tell you where I am right now. I'm in Provincetown, Massachusetts. I'm not. That really isn't in your book. It's kind of like the poor man's Nantucket, isn't it? Uh, so, or the gay man's Nantucket. And sure. the gay man's Nantucket, definitely. <laughs> uh, it's great. I love it here. But anyway. 
Uh, okay, this, the, I mean, it is the complete guide. How, why do you, uh, you live in New York City, so you're mm-hmm. surrounded, I assume, by all of these people. Am I right? Yes, hiding in plain sight. But yes. Hiding in plain sight. You said you're living comfortably over, uh, above your means, mm-hmm. uh, which I can understand if you're living uh, surrounded by these people. Okay, welcome to the club. Tell us, well, who should, what should we start with? Because you tell us where to live. Uh, yeah, I mean, b- basically, the... Uh, the to, for a little background on the book, I don't know if you remember the Preppy Ham book that came I out do. in 1980. Yep. Right, I'm so, a Preppy, by the way, Andover, and I'm glad you had Andover in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I, okay, so the Preppy, uh, the Preppy Ham book came out in 1980. I was always a, a huge fan. And then, in case you haven't noticed, in the last you know, five to ten years, there's been a just massive, massive kind of explosion in, in wealth around the world, really. People have made more money than they've ever made ever before. It's the uh, uber rich. I mean, it's not just upper middle class or no, no, no. This is a millionaires. We're talking billionaires. I I, and and I, everybody on my show knows I was in Dubai a few months ago. It's that kind of wealth. Absolutely, it's a new set of super class. I mean, in the last, the, it now the, the the bottom and the the bottom rung on the Forbes 400. The, to, to to be the you know number 400, you need 1.3 billion dollars, and that's 300 million more. Than you needed last year, um, and the numbers are just kind of astounding. People making you know two and three billion dollars in a single year. Uh, so basically, this is and this has created this new kind of superclass of people that uh, have never have never really existed before, and have, certainly haven't been chronicled as a subculture. Um, so yeah, that's where the book came. So it, it the book. The, book originated. The idea was that I wanted to make a cradle-to-grave guide. Yeah, which it is. It is the cradle. Yeah, yeah it is. Let's start out with the edge. I'm, I'm like, I'm a big education freak, but mm-hmm. some of these guys that you're talking about, and most of them, I guess, are all guys, aren't they? Um, Pretty much. Yeah, all men who have made, who have, women a few. inherit their wealth, and men yeah. have tend to make the money. Well, that's okay. Anyway, but so these guys who, who dropped out of schools, uh, most of them, or a lot of them, yeah, uh, uh, an inordinate amount, actually. Some of the biggest names, you know, from uh, Bill Gates and Paul Allen and Ralph Lauren and David Geffen, kind of these names that we associate with, with uh, uh, you know, being billionaires these days. They, I guess they dropped out of school because they knew what they wanted to do. Some, you know, some would argue when they were, you know, 21, they kind of did the math and realized it was, you know, did, did in most cases they usually did a few semesters at a particular school and then, yeah, well, you have Reed College, Harvard better. College. There's a whole variety of colleges here, but Ralph Lauren dropped out of school. Yeah. So he's worth, you say, $4.7 billion, dropped out of City College of New York. He had other things to do. Amazing. He could, he could use the money to invest in his, in his company. In yeah. most cases, that's usually what they did. So any, any surprises for you, like, I mean, when you were doing this book and researching this stuff? Uh, there were lots of surprises. There was uh, the, the yachts. Yachts is a chapter uh, where particularly... Shocking, or never, never ceased to be shocking. Where there were, there were a lot of like, oh my god, moments where, and that that was. I tried to confine with the the, the sort of the uh, in terms of facts um, that I, that were included in the book, kind of random random trivia. I kind of tried to confine it to, to, to you know shock, things that shocked me. I figured would shock other other readers. The people. Um, all right, you know, yachts. Okay, I know Ronald Perlman has a yacht, Ultima 2, doesn't he, that he travels to St. Bart's on? Now he's on Ultima 5. Oh, Ultima, I'm way behind. <laughs> but you've got, you know, the Larry Ellison's boat, Rising Sun, that has a, it has a full-court basketball court and a pool and, you know, uh, like 30 jet skis and different boats. Um, uh, it's, who is it? It's Roman, oh, Roman Abramovich's boat. He's, it's, it's glass-bottomed. The whole he's boat is glass-bottomed? He has a, there's a glass bottom of, the, of Roman Abramovich's boat, so you, you can see the ocean as you're going. Wow. And then he also has submarines. He has a six <laughs> <laughs> He goes off, off himself and two helicopters. And th- this is, th- that's his third boat. He's now building another one, oh my 520 God. feet long, called the Eclipse, that will, for a very short time, I'm sure, be the longest boat in the world. And then there's this whole thing about buying islands. All of these people who have billions of dollars buy these islands for twenty, thirty million dollars. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think eventually you get, you you kind of get bored of going to all the same places, so you have to kind of create your own little utopia. And yeah, I mean, who do. wants I mean, to stay more, at the Caesars and the you know. and the uh, Ritz Carlton? I mean, that's boring. That's for ordinary. Right. Are you going to see the same people, and then you kind of you start to retreat, and you want your own little compound. All right. So what else? What, now, what else? <laughs> what, 
Here's another term that I see. It came up in your book, and I keep seeing this, like thrillionaires. Talk to us about, because that's a whole new concept, too. You talk about, you know, you're a billionaire, you get bored, you see the same people. I mean, who wants uh-huh. to go going to Palm Beach and Nantucket and blah, 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 same thing all the time, right? So thrillionaires, what do they do? Thrillionaire, I, I think it's, it's, sort of, it's, kind of a, it's definitely a modern concept. It's, the, it's kind of almost like a, uh, I mean, the, the, the types to think of would be like Richard Branson and... Uh, Ted Turner. It's sort of this like trash talking, um, usually good looking, like kind of uh, larger than life personality, almost like a like a sort of like a has kind of elements of like a showman um, that they're constantly you know on TV and ready to prove something. Lots of like extreme sports and yeah. Well, that's what I was. That's what I thought the trillionaire was. They get these. Very, they do these extreme sports. They, you know, go out into the wilderness. They go and they spend a fortune. I mean, they'll buy a plane to go out into the wilderness, or they'll do, uh, you know, these kinds of, thi- you know, underwater scuba diving stuff on the Great Barrier Reef. All those kinds of things, and like which, really, which both of those guys do. Yeah, and also, you know, there's that the uh, the guy who just disappeared. Yeah, what was it? He would be. He would qualify. He was driving a stunt plane. <laughs> like you know, these kind of guys who have these really extreme hobbies um, in a quest for simulation. Why? Right. Why Richard Branson needs to fly around the world in a in a hot air balloon? I have no idea. I like Richard Branson. I hope he's listening. I think. <laughs> I, I think he's fabulous too. I, I mean, I think that it's it's there's something, you know, there's something inside him that compels him to do do those sorts of things. And the other thing is you talk about, and I, and I see this sometimes in the New York Times also, um, you know, when they have parties, they have people, you know, like the music, the people that they have at the party, will, you know, you know like the right. world. Right. Yeah, I tried to, there's a whole list of, uh, of, of and with it's sort of a breakdown of the different entertainers, big-name big acts that you can hire to play at, at, at your own parties, from the Rolling Stones to, you know, Rod Stewart, Jimmy Buffett, um, Lots of different ones. It's, it's tough to get you 2 or Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> well, that's but if there's, a, if there's a decent enough charity attached, you can probably do it. Yeah, well. With uh, that, that, I mean, what, what you just said, that it is, the book really is a, a guide. If you had no sense of humor, you could take it and go through and kind of follow it to a T and use the phone numbers and the URLs and kind of uh, you know, live your life accordingly, or you could just sort of read it and laugh. Or you could take bits and pieces of it. You don't have, obviously you're not going to be able to do the whole thing. But let's say you're thinking of traveling, where you know places to go. I mean, you can go to some of these places, and and uh, it, it is you know it can be a travel guide. And this show is you know this is a women's network, so we got to cover this mm-hmm. topic. The nanny state, mother's little helpers. You have a chapter on that, like where yeah. they get their nannies, because everybody, most ladies want to know that. Yeah, mother. Yeah, I mean, I I, tr- I tried to do you know so it's all it was. It, it was very hard to write, I'm going to admit. It was, uh, there was a lot of research involved. Um, it was extremely research-heavy. But, the, yeah, there's a whole guide to different, the sort of what West Caribbean nannies are like yeah. versus Eastern European nannies and that, uh, versus British nannies. And then there's also uh, places to... You know, and there's the, also the manis. Now, I wish I had known about manis. <laughs> if you have to stay home as a mom, and I had three boys to stay home with, if I had a manny, at least it would have made life interesting. <laughs> Instead of a nanny, a manny would have been much better, and you'd cover that in the book, too. Also, you're thinking yes. about strollers, prams for the glam, which I'm really... Listen to this. Can we share this? Of I mean, $2,000 uh, for a uh, a baby carriage, I guess. That's all it is. It's like a... A BMW? Oh, no, it's more than that of, of a baby carriages. I don't know cars that well, but um, two thousand dollars just for a baby carriage. Yeah, there's. Well, I mean that that idea was uh, came through <laughs> came through throughout the book. It's kind of like really a uh, hundred thousand dollars for a tree. Yeah. There's why. <laughs> I guess it's it's the same. They're, they're behaving in the same way everyone does. It's just that it's just on a higher a higher scale. Yeah, it's you know, the same thing. Well, that's America, isn't it? So everybody can kind of look to this and try to copy it, maybe, you know, similar but not exact. You know, if you, you can go to the islands that these people go to, but maybe not stay at the same place. Exactly. Yeah, so you can exactly. do that. Well, no one teaches you this stuff. There used to be a whole, there, there used to be kind of a long, people have been rich in America for a long time, but the, the kind of old wasp aristocracy that kind of held up these traditions and sort of taught people how to run a house servants, let's say theoretically if you happen to someday need servants, 
Um, no one knows how to do that anymore. Are you going to, like, kind of Google Buffalo? <laughs> Google yeah, I, which, I, I, I guarantee there are hundreds, of, if not thousands, of people doing things like that across the country trying yeah. to figure out, you know, they're like, okay, my husband just, you know, we, we just came into a ton of money, and I know we, we live in Arkansas, and we want to send our kids to boarding school because the schools aren't good here. Where do we send them? Well, all you have to do and is then they get, get on Google. book, and we have to say goodbye, and I want to make sure that they do, because if you're living in Arkansas, you got a lot of money, Montana, you don't know what to do, go out and buy the official Filthy Rich Handbook, Christopher Tennant, and he'll tell you how to do it. Yes, it's FilthyRichHandbook.com is at my website, and there's links to, you know, to, to buy the book elsewhere, or you can just go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Borders, etc. Terrific. Thanks, Christopher, and great Thank having you on the so show much. this morning. Have a great day. Have a great day. We're going to take a short break. Lauren, think about it. Lauren Beller and Catherine Zox on Voice America Women's Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America Women's Radio Network. We all have issues, parenting, addictions, disorders, anxiety, stress. How do we expand on what's working and improve what's not? Let Quantum Leaps with Beth Wilson bring you a high-energy approach to personal growth and creative life change. Listen every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Women's Channel. Let Beth bring you back to sanity with a blend of humor and perspective so you can make the change you need. Quantum Leaps with Beth Wilson. Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, here on Voice America Women's Channel. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Are the days passing by faster than you can believe? Do your kids, job, pets, family, errands, and life demands leave no time left for you? Listen to Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum each week. You can have it all, balance it, and truly enjoy your life. Be ready to have fun, laugh, and learn from celebrities and everyday heroes. We don't need an entire life overhaul, just a little bit of tweaking for our lives to be what we want. Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Women's Network. Your life is waiting for you. Finally, radio that has real depth. Voice America Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I haven't said this this morning. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Have I, Lauren? Lauren? I don't know. You said it. I did say it. <laughs> Lauren Deller and Catherine Zox. Lauren's my co-host. And as I said earlier, Lauren, we have Dr. Alan Hamilton joining us this morning. He is the uh, he is the author of The Scalpel and the Soul, and he is the uh, chief of neurology or neurosurgery and chairman of the Department of Surgery at the University of Arizona Health Science Center, a graduate of Harvard Medical School, and one funny little tidbit, he studied art in college. I don't know if that's so funny, but that earned him a career as a janitor, so he decided to go on, I guess, to Harvard Medical School. He's an author. He's an educator. And uh, this is his new book. This is really uh, The Scalpel and the Soul tells the unspoken stories behind remarkable patients and strange events and shares the moral and spiritual lessons found in them. Don't always uh, have that opportunity to talk to a neurosurgeon about uh, spirituality. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Dr. Hamilton. Nice to be here, Catherine. Thank you. Yeah. As, uh, and I don't know where I found this, but I guess this is unfortunately too. Doctors are often taught to think and not feel, and uh, you're not one of those doctors. You do both. So tell us about the book, The Scalpel and the, Sco- and the Soul. Why did you decide to write this? Well, over 25 years of uh, being a brain surgeon, I had seen so many patients just rally 
their spiritual and emotional resources and really change the course of their their illness and actually enhance their recovery and the quality of their life. And it just so impressed me. Um, I think all doctors have the experience of, uh, you know, having patients who are terminally ill who say to them, uh, you know, I'm going to um, to wait till Thanksgiving so I can see my family or wait till this wedding or have my, uh, I recently had a patient who had to wait for her son to come back from Iraq to say goodbye. And, you know, we look at that and we say, well, how does that happen? And the answer seems pretty straightforward. It's their uh, disease process, and uh, their will is basically imposing itself on their disease process. And we don't have any difficulty understanding that. Um, and yet um, we see a lot even more amazing things than that every single day in modern medicine. And yet we're kind of reticent to talk about it. Is it that you're reticent to talk about it as a physician, or that do you think that physicians are, because of their training, are in denial, or it, it maybe they feel like they lose control over the care of the patient? Uh, you know, it's sort of like if, if this other stuff kind of is going to affect the outcome, um, you know, spirituality and the patient being able to control the outcome of their disease or their surgery, that there's kind of that denial from doctors? I think that's a, that's a very good question. I think it cuts both ways. On the one hand, you could have individuals who say, look, I want to stick to what's scientific and rational because that's what I'm comfortable with. But every one of us, when, you, you know, when, it, when we're talking here amongst ourselves, every single one of us would say, yep, I know that the way I feel has an impact on my body, on the way my, on my health. I know that when I'm stressed, I know that when I'm anxious, I know that when I'm not in the right state of mind, things aren't going well in my body, and I feel it. So we don't have any problem with that, excepting that those things have impact. On the other side, the other edge of the sword is patients know that they want to be able to, when they're facing a severe illness or major surgery, marshal those resources. And in a way, they need to be empowered to say, yes, of course, as an individual, you should marshal the resources you want, not just the quote-unquote scientific, analytic, rational things that the doctor is bringing to the table. Give us an example how you do that with your patients, and and at the same time, I guess, give us an example or one of the examples that you have in the book. Um, I think one, one of the things that I tell my patients, for example, is create your own soundtrack your surgery. And by that I say, I, I mean, make different CDs um, and, and make them for different aspects. Maybe it's for the pre-surgical in the waiting area. Then there's another CD that you want that's played during, during the surgery. And I have a lot of patients who put affirmations from loved ones on that uh, CD. And maybe there's another one for when you emerge or um, and, you know, so maybe one's very quiet and peaceful and loving, and maybe another one, now when it's rehab time, it's rocky, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, kind of that Olympic-inspiring music we're hearing right now. But the point is, make your own soundtrack, because music is very helpful. Um, very often comatose patients will tell you the very two first things they remember hearing are the voices of loved ones and music. Uh, so it is very powerful. It even works, I mean, this is on a, dentists have been using, I mean, you go into the dentist chair and they play whatever music you like, I'll have them play jazz or classical music, it dulls the pain, or I'm not focusing on the pain, I'm focusing on the music, and it, it does. It's yeah, or an MRI where you're, you're you know, very claustrophobic, and what do they, they, what do they do? They put earphones on you so you can listen to music and relax, so it has, and I, I did the same thing when I go under surgery, I create my own soundtrack and do it myself, I've learned it from my patients. Um, I think one of the most interesting uh, kind of uh, hard-to-explain examples for me from a patient was uh, taking care of a very badly burned boy who was in a coma and uh, was actually dying. He kept rejecting his skin grafts. And uh, in the midst of this, his, his father suddenly passed away from a heart attack. And the mother uh, off said, would, you, would it be any use to put the skin grafts from the father onto the son to try and save him? And we said, well, you know, he's dying. It's a last-ditch effort. Why not? And we did all that. And um, as I say, he had been on a ventilator, never opened his eyes the whole time by taking care of him. And about two hours after the surgery's over, a nurse comes slamming on the door and tells me to come running. And he's awake, 
and he's trying to talk and trying to pull the tube out to talk. And I undo the tube, and the very first words we ever have said to each other, he looks at me and says, what's happened to my father? And I was an intern at the time, and I made a terrible mistake. I just, I just didn't feel like saying to this kid, your father's dead. So I lied to him and I said, nothing, your father's fine. And then the boy looked at me and said, well, if my father's fine, why is he just standing there at the end of the bed smiling at me? So That's chill, I mean. Mm, oh, my. Yeah. So I look around, and, of course, you know, I don't see anything. Um, and then I, then I finally broke the news to him because I felt just the whole thing was just too much of a burden on me on my shoulders. And I told him what had happened to his father. He said, well, that must be his ghost, his spirit that's looking after me. And he made a remarkable recovery. And the thing was, like happens, you know, you lose track of the patient. I had another 10 years of residency. On the very last day, I'm going to hand my beeper in, and I get on the elevator, and there's a woman that I recognize, and standing next to her is a teenager who obviously was a former burn victim. And the mother is there. That's who I recognize. And this teenager was that boy, all grown up. And I said to myself, it can't be a mistake that this is happening on the very last day of my residency. This has got to be some message about don't forget what you've seen. Um, it, don't try and sweep this thing under the rug. It's too important. And so, I mean, and that was the impetus or the motivation for you to to, to follow through. I mean, you had yep. your ten years of residency, and then you carried this with you. And you're uh, as a as a physician. Um, what is the response, though? I mean, I'm curious about like other doctors, oh. especially surgeons. I mean, they still have <laughs> a reputation question. of like you know really hardcore. You know, I'll do not really being attuned even to you know and. Uh, patients' feelings. I hate to say it, but... Yeah, I, I, um, surgeons are really the most conservative group in all of medicine. They're tough. And I sent copies of the book to every single one of my teachers and mentors who had been so important to me. And not one of them so much as sent me back an email saying thank you. Um, and, you know, the trouble is I really, that was what I expected. I've had surgeons come up to me and say, you know, you're a chairman of surgery. How the heck could you write a book like this about spirituality? And, you know, the answer is because I thought it was important. On the other hand, I've had tons of doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers who've come up and said, we've all had so many experiences and we've never dared to talk about them. And thank you for finally talking about hope and about spirituality and about how people's beliefs can change the course of their illness. So it cuts, it's, you know, they come in two camps, really. But uh, a lot of my colleagues were very shocked. I was shocked, really. You know, people say, well, why'd you, why'd you set out to write a book about spirituality? I said, I didn't. I was a hardcore scientist. I only wrote this book because I was clubbed over the head by so many events that were happening, and I couldn't explain them, that I said I wouldn't be a good scientist if, it, if I didn't at least say, these, here are all these things that happen that I can't explain. Let's talk about it. And also, don't you think, Dr. Hamilton, because you're open to it now, that you, I mean, you're just going to have, you have more and more experiences? I mean, you have to, when you cut through that, I don't know, I keep calling it denial or uh, not wanting to, to see it or feel it in your patients, when you're able to do that, then you just continue to, to be aware of it with each one of your patients more and more. Yeah, I, I always liken it to going for a walk in the, in the wilderness uh, with Ansel Adams. You know, I'm walking around looking and going, hmm, tree, mountain range, great. And, and behind you is Ansel Adams, who suddenly sets up a camera and goes, power, majesty, majestic. And, and, you know, you were looking at the same landscape, and suddenly, you know, Ansel Adams just has a different way of looking at it with a different lens. And I think over time, if you do start to look at it that way, you do get a different lens, and I think that's what happens. Once you get through that denial, the lens begins to change, and you begin to see things very differently. It's an exciting book. This, the uh, Dr. Alan Hamilton. What you can go to this your website or the website, the uh, Scalpel and the Soul, for more information, more of a description of the book, and you can order it online. Right, bookstores yep. everywhere. Yep. And I, and you know, I think not just the lay public. Hey, doctors out there, you can order it too. <laughs> <laughs> and healthcare professionals. Hint, 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 hint. <laughs> <laughs> and. And nurses, but I think nurses tend to be sometimes close. I, I don't want closer to patients. They are. They're. They, I always. I always say they're the final common pathway of love that's left in medicine. Mm. 
Yeah, um, they, they really are the last bastion of love that we've got within the system. Well, it's been great talking to you today. Lots, obviously, lots more to talk about, but um, the scalpel and the soul, Dr. Alan Hamilton, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. We- Thank you, Catherine. Great to have you. Um, fascinating book, Lauren. It's fantastic. Anyway, and it is. It's for everybody, lay people as well as professionals. So, Lauren, we'll take a short break again. You're listening to Lauren Beller with Catherine Zox on Voice America Women's Network. Thanks for joining us this morning. Don't go away because we have lots more to talk about. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice... What if something happens? Will you come get me? Should I stay where I am and wait for you? Or go to Grandma's house since it's closer? Should only pick a place for me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? How do we keep in touch with each other if the phones don't work? Should I be worried how we all get home? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. down to ladies is that defining line between been there done that and ain't going back baby yeah i've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers maybe even dolls babes darling sugar and sweetheart but i say that women are truly amazing join dr marlene for amazing women brains beauty and style every wednesday at 1 p.m pacific right here on the voice america women's radio network let's sing that new song my music track 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 from a modem jack, jack, jack plays MP3s, threes, threes, and I download fast, fast, fast. I read the bits, bits, bits on the microchips, chips, chips, and I burnt, burnt, burnt all my favorite hits, hits, hits. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in technology, but parents can help keep them updated. Go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion. And we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio. Voice America Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Back with Catherine Zocchio on Voice America Women's Network with Lauren Beller. Hey, Lauren, very cool, that Dr. Dr. Hamilton, right? I love those stories. I know, isn't that? Oh, my God, I could listen to him for hours. And, and there's one more story. If you go online and look at his website, uh-huh. uh, there's a lecture that he's get, or there's a, 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 a video. And apparently he had was doing surgery on a woman who had a brain tumor, and uh, I guess, and I don't know the you know specific medical uh, stuff that they did, but what they did do uh, is they had to, like, cut off, I think, the blood supply to the tumor. They almost, they had to make her, like, like uh, brought to, uh, she was on a heart-lung machine as if she were dead, uh-huh. and she was just comatose so that they could work on the tumor. I mean, that's just a layman's description of it, but if you go on and you, online, you can watch this happening. Uh, while they would, surgery went well, it was going well, the doctors and nurses were talking, one of the nurses was talking about uh, she was engaged and where she brought her diamond ring, what jewelry store, and, you know, they're just chatting because everything really went well with the surgery, which is what they do during surgeries. <laughs> and anyway, so surgery's over, I guess they take her back to her room, uh, she be, she's revived, she comes out of the, 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 the comatose state, surgery is successful, she can repeat Everything that was said in the operating room, he said on the video, even right down to the comments about which jewelry store the nurse was buying her 
really father engagement ring in. Think about it. See, so that's amazing to me. And how many doctors? That's my question: is how many doctors see this every day, but don't give it credit? Like, give the human what's what's beyond the human body? You know, what's possible? Because it's too scary. It's too scary or unknown, and it doesn't fit in the medical books yet. But it will. It will. It's so cool. There's so much we don't know. Well, Dr. Hamilton is at the University of Arizona Science Center. That's where Dr. Andrew Andrew Weil is, too. Interesting. The Center for Integrative Medicine. Uh Uh-huh. So you've got all these, and they're all Harvard, not all, but these two gentlemen are Harvard Medical School educated physicians. Yeah. They're really, really well trained. So, uh, I mean, I just think that's, that's quite a story. And I know that's true of me. Do you ever do this? I mean... Sometimes if I have pains or I'm, I'm in pain, I don't know what it is, I'm frightened, the pain is, is much more acute. Like if I'm at home and I don't know what the, you know. Oh, yeah, because you focus on it. Well, and my, say my leg, and I've had this my, a couple, few months ago. I mean, my leg was really hurting me. And I, cause I'm thinking I have a blood clot. I mean, I can think of a million. Right, you come up things. with all these crazy bad stories. I have cancer. I have, you know, and so I'm really terrified. And the more terrified I am, the more painful this, the leg it gets, you know, uh-huh. it, it hurts when I'm in bed, it hurts when I wake up in the morning. Then, finally made an appointment, terrified, of course, to make the appointment right. with the doctor, the ortho, orthopedist, because I thought maybe it was something to do with, sh- what is shin splints? Uh-huh. Because uh, that, that was the thing that I was hoping it would be, and not something more dramatic, right? It's something really scary. So anyway, went, had the whole thing checked out, and had an MRI and all that, and then... When I find out that it was really nothing or they didn't, you know, just part of the aging process, part of just kind of, this, you know, not ex- not doing exercises or not stretching before I walk, you know, it wasn't anything catastrophic. The <laughs> and all of a sudden the pain said, was gone. Well, it wasn't gone. Oh, okay. So that's the point. I mean, that would be too miraculous. But he says to me, well, I can give you, but what's the stuff they give you to make pain go away? Not steroids. What's the other thing? they, they Prednisone? Cort- yeah, or cortisone. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. And he's going on and I'm saying, you know. Now that I know what it is, I don't need any medication. Right, exactly. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'll work, work through it. Oh, exactly. I'll uh. work through it. I will do my stretching. I will do more other kinds of things. I don't need to be medicated. Uh, and now that my, you know, I'm not so nervous about what it is. I and think that that's, that's such the power of our mind. And that's what I think that, I mean, power of our mind works for um, success in business, our health. This is amazing. It really is amazing. Yeah. So, you know, you said to me, well, it, the, the pain went away, but it didn't go away, but it did, it got less. And then sometimes if I'm doing something completely different, something I really love to do, it doesn't have to be listening to music, it could be anything, I even forget I have it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So the power of the mind, I mean, it is like, well, he said playing those tapes. That's an interesting concept, too, playing tapes before you have surgery, after surgery, during surgery. Um that affect you, and I mean, you know, in a, in a positive way. But yeah, it's all like refocus. We there's a whole chemical thing going on there Definitely. too. Definitely, I agree with that. So, but I do. So that's the biology part of it. But I think that what he's what the doctor's speaking to today is the whole, you know, spiritual part of it, or the I don't even know what the right word is. It's beyond physical. Well, you know what it is too. Don't you find that when you talk to this? I keep saying this is ladies. I mean, women tend to do this. We tend to do it. Uh, if I talk to my girlfriend, or I talk to you, or I talk to people, my mother, or just you know, friend, get it off my mind. I feel much better, even though the circumstances may be the same. But um, I'm much more relaxed. Let's say if Definitely. there is something wrong yeah. with me, whatever it is, you know. Yep, you have to get it off. I have to get it off my chest too. But I think that's a woman thing, don't you? Yeah, because sometimes I know Barry, my partner, and some, and, and my kids will say, "We just, you know." Stop talking about it. Why do you keep talking about it? Exactly. And no. boys, men will say that. Yeah, my husband will say, I, I will say, can't we talk about it? He says, no, I need to incubate with it for a while is what yeah, he tells yeah. me. Incubate. He says, Rob, you're so, that's what men say. That's okay. what he does. He says, oh, I've got to incubate on that. And it will be like for sometimes weeks, I'm like, hello, could we talk about it? No, I'm still incubating. I'm like, you are wacky. Yeah, well, but, incubate or it, it'll get worse if we talk about it. I said, no, to me, it's exactly the, if I, the, opposite. the opposite. Exactly. But that's oh. definitely one of the big, that's, you know, women are from Mars, men are from Venus. That's yeah. the diff, one of the differences. That is a big difference. And, that, and that's a huge difference in communication, too, if you're trying to talk to your partner, your spouse. I mean, Trying to like get it out. I mean, and if I then it, if I don't get it out, it's like just stuffed in there, and I am really stressed out. Yeah, he. It's funny. 
this is really funny. He he's got this potential job thing going on where he get he's applying for a big job, and I said, "Oh, I got to tell all my friends." And he's like, "Don't tell anybody." I'm like. <laughs> What do you mean don't tell anybody? I might have to move across the country again, you know? What do you mean I can't talk about it? I don't want to talk about it with anybody because they're all going to ask me how I did, and I don't want to talk about it, and I'm thinking, you're crazy. I'm sorry. I'm going to be talking about it. I'll just talk about it with people that I'll tell. Not to talk to you about well, it. Well, you got back. Hey, my dear, you just got back at him. You just told the world. I know I did. <laughs> you just told the whole there. But he in China. He needs to keep it to himself and, like, live with it, you know? Yeah, and, and well, also there's this thing, I think we're getting into this whole male-female thing, but I think also men don't want to be judged. Like, say, you don't get the job, and they're right. like, well, the people are going to think less of me. I don't think women have that as much. Okay, so no, I don't get think it. So. You know? Yeah, and then we talk about it. Yeah, and I'll apply for another one, but there's this whole ego thing that gets in the way. So if you don't tell anybody, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to think less of you if, you know, if you didn't get the position or the raise or whatever, you know, whatever the hell it's going to be. Exactly. It's very interesting, and so this goes. So we're. I feel like we should not. This whole thing about this, you know, what's possible with the human body and mind under surgery or in surgery is anything's possible. But I think that's true in life. Like we'll go back to where we started today with the Olympics. Anything's possible. I like that. Anything's possible, but uh, of course, well, you know what? I don't know that anything is possible. Well, you have two minutes left. We can't Ugh. get into it now because. <laughs> Anything's possible to try, but we have to know our... But I have a whole thing, too, about knowing your limitations and then also focusing on the things that are possible for you. Like, if you get into telling kids, like, anything is possible, they begin to think that anything is possible, and it's not, really. It doesn't mean that you have to have... I, you know, you're, you're trying to put, limit somebody. Actually, what you're trying to do is to help them focus. I think that's true, but what's possible for you is different than what's possible for me because of our passions and our interests. Yeah, and our exactly. So, but I mean, and, and so I think you have to kind of be clear about that. We have to talk more about that because that's, that's a, a good big topic, issue. and it's a big issue with the next generation. It is. I agree do with everything, that. And they can't. And then you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Anyway, we only have one minute left, my dear. So, um, time for you to go back to the nanny. <laughs> <laughs> no, time for me to stay in my office. <laughs> Lock your door. Don't go out. And um, what else? Have a great week. You have a great week, too. Nice show today. Yeah, it was fun. It really was. I had a good time. Anyway, I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Catherine Zock and Lauren Beller on Voice America Women's Network. Thanks for joining both of us this morning. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zock Show.